This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 202 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Trotting on Thick Ice. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Equity Manufacturing, home of the coolest manure fork ever invented, and Kentucky Performance Products, scientifically proven supplements for your horse. You can find them all at StableScoop.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're barely listening to the Stable Scoop <laughs> radio show on the Horse Radio Network because really, Glenda and I have done like, what, seven takes? Yeah, just the opener. Yeah, we're barely doing the show, which is why you're <laughs> barely listening and have been having technical issues since uh, Tropical Storm Debbie dumped about 25 inches of rain on us. I have this image of you sitting at your desk with like, uh, a face mask and a snorkel thing. Waiters. Yeah. <laughs> waiters, snorkels. You know, the one good thing about Florida is with all the sand, everything sinks in. And, and, and you know, the next morning after you, we had Sunday, we had uh, 12 inches of rain in one day. What? Yeah, in one day. It just came down all day. And then the next morning, it looked like it hadn't rained at all. That's <laughs> the way it is in Florida. It just disappears. Now, there are parts that get flooded and stuff, but our, we learned that we're in a pretty good spot here. We didn't have any flooding. That was nice. I was. That was my question: Is how did your property handle all? No, that? it was great. We only had a couple of tree branches down and things like that. We worry about trees coming down too. My brother had a great big tree, probably about three foot across at the base, came down between his house and his barn. Oh my god! And the horse was in the barn. So um, yeah, that was about a mile from us. I helped him cut that up last night. Oh but, yeah. So uh, you know there were a lot of flooding and a lot of damage in places and, and my internet apparently. <laughs> What, why did the tree come down? Was it wind or was it, it was, just from soaking you know, ground? You know what happens, too? We get moss here. We got that moss that grows all over the trees. Yeah. And it acts like a big, great big sponge. So if a tree has a weakness, that moss gets heavier and heavier when it rains. Right. And it just pulls the trees down. And that's why you see so many trees that come down. Right. So you Plus have, we have to a lot really... of old trees here, you know, these old live oaks and stuff. Yeah, they're big and heavy and beefy yeah. and then with, with the moss and... So you have to really stay on top of keeping them pruned. You do. You do. And, and that, is, that isn't cheap. You know, that's not cheap because they're huge. No, exactly. <laughs> and they're really, it's not like they're straight, you know, easy limbs like a maple tree or something. They're, they've got those windy, curvy limbs. That's right. And, and, and they're just tall. Really, really tall. But anyway, you didn't, they aren't listening to hear about trees in Florida. But I do have something funny I want to read to you here. I think it's funny. And it, uh, Jamie, yesterday in the morning show, I read a list about why horse guys uh, don't like dating, or why, why guys don't like dating horse girls. And she got all upset and said, I dare you by tomorrow to come up with the good things about dating horse girls. And uh, so this morning I worked on this for about an hour, and I came up with a list. Do you want to hear it? These are the top ten good things about dating or marrying a horse girl. 
Yes, of course. Okay, so here you go. This was my list in response to Jamie getting all mad at me. So here we are. And, and I put some time and effort into this. So. And these aren't in any particular order. They're just written down as I thought of them. Number one, you can cancel your gym membership. You will be getting plenty of exercise around the farm. Cleaning, mending, fixing, chasing, repairing, building, etc., etc., etc. Yes. Our first farm that we got uh, when, when I met Jennifer, she had this farm, actually. It was about 100 acres, and it was kind of an old rundown place. And I'll tell you what, I never knew so many things went into making place safe for horses. It was incredible. You don't need a gym membership. You're going to get buff all over the farm. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not. Exactly right. Okay. And two, you don't have to lie about blowing off work to go to the racetrack because she'll go with you. Very yes. Easy. Yeah. Don't have to worry about that one. Number three, tight-fitting breeches. And I think <laughs> that speaks for itself. That's a Glenn the Geek original. <laughs> Well, you know, it's the only reason I went to horse shows early on. <laughs> I learned very quickly when you go to horse shows, she drug me to horse shows and dressage shows nonetheless. But boy, those breeches are tight. Whew. Oh, Four. come on. The poor dressage girl's <laughs> getting beat up as it is. <laughs> go easy on them. Four. Horse, are you kidding? Dressage is going to make out thanks to this good bear thing. They've had more publicity than they've ever had. Number four, horse girls are very strong. By the way, that's one of the things I liked about me when I met Jennifer. She was so strong, and I liked strong girls. Okay. And uh, horse girls are very strong. You will never have to worry about that beer bottle cap again. Here, Jennifer, can you open this for me? Um, number five, horse girls tend not to be clothes hounds or wear tons of makeup, so you will save money. And that is true. They tend, as a, as a whole, to not be – Jennifer shops at Goodwill. You know, to get her jeans and stuff, because yeah. she says, well, why should I buy a $40 pair of jeans when I'm going to trash it tomorrow? Um, and yeah, you're not yeah. a big clothes hound or makeup person either. Um, I used to be. Yeah, but, no, you know, now that you're a horsey, you're not. Right. I, I just buy breeches and boots and saddle pads instead of lipstick and shoes. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen you in makeup. Maybe. Oh, yes, I do. One haunt ball we went to together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when I go to a horsey event. That's when I break out my makeup. <laughs> we if went I to go a to like together, a polo event up. or uh, one of the hunt tees or something like that. Or that hunt might ball. be the last yeah. time I ever saw you in a dress. <laughs> Come to think I know. About it. Well, you know what I do? My great big secret is I go to one of the local makeup counters or makeup stores and I say, do my makeup. <laughs> and I, I buy like a $50 tube of mascara or something or your lipstick and they'll do your whole face, your whole makeup. Do they give you samples too? Can you get samples? Yeah, yeah, you get samples. Oh, we'll see. And that. so samples, I, which is good because you know, <laughs> for if I buy, let's say, a tube of, I mean, whatever you call it, a stick of lipstick, you know, it for most people it would last them like maybe a couple of months, but for me it lasts a couple of years. Right. And you know, you're supposed to throw it out after a while, so those sample sizes are much better because then I use them faster. You know, one or two uses, but um. Yeah, so for all you horse girls out there, if you don't want to, if you don't want to, or you can't invest in makeup, you have a big event coming. Go to your local makeup counter and you know splurge on a little lipstick, and they'll do your, they'll make you look fabulous. <laughs> there you See, go. I thought you go on Horse Tip Daily. I yeah, guess, that's huh? right. That's true. We should. That's short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, but but no, I we do not spend a ton of money on makeup, and we do spend a ton of money on clothes. It's just that they're riding clothes. That's right. 
Yeah. And Jennifer, you know, my wife tends to not have been that way either. She always bought the used stuff at the tax shops and things like that. She's kind of frugal. She's more frugal than I am, actually. Yeah, she's, uh, she's yeah. frugal in a good way. Yeah. Number six, they tend to fall asleep early, so you will have the remote to yourself after 9 uh, p.m. 9 o'clock every night. <laughs> That's right. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, too. That is true. Now, I, but the problem you have with that one is, is after you've become a horse husband and you're out there, you're out there cleaning, mending, fixing, chasing, repairing, and building every day, as in number one, you're tired, too, and you tend to fall asleep at 9 o'clock, so number six isn't as important then. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Number seven. Oh, did, oh, you know what I didn't put on that list was, was putting up hay. Oh, oh, you will burn one million calories, <laughs> calories an hour. That's right. Doing oh, that. Putting up hay. We once had, we moved from one farm to another, and we had just gotten, two weeks before, before we knew everything was going to be done, we had gotten an offer to get a tractor-trailer truck load of hay at a really good price. Yeah. Two weeks before we moved, we got a tractor-trailer truck load of hay. You know what that meant? No. That when we moved, we had to move in a tractor-trailer truck load of oh, hay. Oh, 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 when you moved, like, Yeah, two weeks before we moved. Home. Uh, so we had to get another flatbed tractor-trailer to come in to move the tractor-trailer truck load of hay over to the new farm. That was a pain. That, I'll never forget that. That was the worst part of that move. <laughs> um, number, and, and, you know, there's a difference between certain hay bales, too. You got the 40-pounders and the 60-pounders and the 80-pounders. Yeah, you do. Uh, and these, yep. this particular group used to make about the 60, 70-pounders. And I'm telling you, after you've done that for an hour or two, you want to die in the heat. Well, you know, when you're buying the hay to feed to your horses, you're very excited when you get a 60-pound bale of hay. But when you're the (laughs) horse husband, you've got to move it from point A to point B. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, number seven, they are easy to please, horse women. A new shaken fork, a new pair of paddocks, or even a lighted hoof pick will make them happy. You can buy them a wheelbarrow. If they need a wheelbarrow, you can buy them a wheelbarrow, and it'll make their day. Even if we don't need a wheelbarrow, it'll make our day. That's true. The simplest things can make their day. And, you know, horse girls are the exception. You know how they say don't buy tools for your girlfriend on, like, the birthday or Christmas? Yeah. Horse girls want tools. <laughs> yep. Tools. Remember, remember my um, vice grip? What was that thing? Oh, remember yes, the grip yes. I had that C-clamp. helped me move my stall mats? The C-clamps. Clamps. Right. C-clamps. Yep. C-clamps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get your girl some C-clamps, man. <laughs> that is the most romantic thing ever. <laughs> Number eight, you can save money on haircuts. They are great with clippers. Now, I have never actually let Jennifer touch me with the clippers because I really didn't want a crew cut. I was mm-hmm. a little afraid of the crew cut. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I haven't actually gone that route yet. I, I did, uh, several years ago, start to cut Peter's hair with the clippers. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you put it on, like, number one and give him a, a buzz cut? <laughs> I, I just... I, my hand was shaking because I didn't want to mess it up, so I... I uh, he had a, a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> he had a square in the back of his head. Oh, no. Did you do that intentionally? Tell the truth. And I made the mistake of going, uh-oh. And he was like, what? And, of course, he puts his hand in the back of his head. He's like, give me the clippers. Turn them off. Give me the clippers. Get away. <laughs> so, would, yeah, I yeah. don't think I'd let you in the back of my head with clippers either. <sighs> the next two actually go together. Number nine, horse girls are not afraid to get dirty. And that goes with number ten. Have you ever seen the two-point position? 
Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's all we need to say about that one. Oh, Glenn. Of course, husbands all over the United States yeah. singing your praises right yeah, now. right now. That's why I'm America's horse husband, because I bring out the important things. Yes. What's that thing that they say that... Um, the Real Housewives of New York, the, the one that everybody loves to hate is uh, Ramona. And she says, I just say what everybody else is thinking. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's true. <laughs> you got to love people like that. <laughs> well, let, we're going to have a great show for you today. We have a couple of guests coming on today. We have Elizabeth from Equestrian Professional coming on to talk about business plans and the importance of them, no matter how small your horse business and uh, uh, a, a webinar they have coming up that will help you out with that. And then a fascinating, we have a couple of fascinating guests on a topic that you really don't ever hear much about, and that's Icelandic horses. Uh, we have Lindsay Blatt and Paul Taggart are coming on, and they are making a movie about, called Herd in Iceland. Uh, it's a documentary about uh, Icelandic horses and the trouble that they've been having recently, too, because of some issues. Uh, with weather and things up there and, and economy. And we're going to talk to them about their film and about the Icelandic horses. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we just don't think about yet. They're the most beautiful horses. They're just tremendous horses. Um, they tend to be more pony size, but we're going to find out more about them with Lindsay and Paul coming up in a few minutes as well. But first, I want to talk to you about Kentucky Performance Products. Let's take a break to hear about them. And we're going to be back with Elizabeth talking about business plans for your horse business. Well, it's a hot one out there, and the heat wave has hit much of the United States and the rest of the world. Well, don't let dehydration and electrolyte imbalance sideline your horse. Summer Games electrolytes are formulated to replace both the electrolytes and the trace minerals that are lost when your horse sweats. Its concentrated formula allows you to easily feed the correct amount to meet your horse's changing needs. This uh, electrolyte was developed for the equine athletes at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. We all know that it can get hot in Atlanta. For horses on the go, use Summer Games Electrolyte Plus Paste. Each dose contains a serving of Nalox equine antacid for double the protection against stress. And, of course, you can find all of that at Kentucky Performance Products. They take out the confusion of choosing the right supplement. And you can find them at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Well, hi, Elizabeth, and welcome back to the show. Well, hi, Glenn. It's great to be here. You know, you I got your email the other day uh, from a question professional, and... I saw the topic, and I said I had to have you on to talk about this because it's such an important topic for horse owners, no matter whether you're running a boarding stable or you're running a training stable or you're a professional competitor. It doesn't matter what kind of horse business that you run. It's The business plan issue is something that just gets overlooked so much. So tell us first about the master class and how people can get there and find it. Okay. Well, the master class is actually a, a members-only program we have for equestrian professional members, and we started having master classes because we wanted to focus on specific topics in the horse business and have it more like a group coaching session. And so, um, it takes place July second, Monday, July second, at six p.m. Pacific, eight Central, nine Eastern. And it's available to members, so uh, even if you just want to test out a membership, you could sign up for $27, um, and you get a month membership, and you get to attend the master class. So it's, it's very, very affordable 
And I think um, definitely a good return on investment because of what everybody will learn. And it's done online like a webinar, right? Absolutely, yeah. So you can you can actually you can watch it from your mobile device. You can listen from your mobile device, or you can watch the slides um, on uh, on your computer or what have you. So yeah, it's very it's very easy to attend. And who's your uh, guest speaker? It'll be uh, it's a joint effort. It's going to be myself and uh, Pam Saul. And Pam is an accountant and uh, the owner of Farm and Equine Business Services. Um, which is a company that gives um, that provides basically accounting services to equine and farm businesses. And then prior to that, she worked for another company where one of her main functions was helping people write business plans and so that they could get financing for their business. And so that you know clearly she's she's a, a huge asset to the call. I'm kind of the strategy person, and she's sort of the numbers person. And so we. I think together the two of us balance each other out well. All right. Well, let's let's get serious here about this because I'll tell you what the business plans. I've worked for businesses as consultant and employee. Uh, you know, large businesses and small businesses that have all had business plans. So I've worked on plenty of business plans in the past. But I'm as guilty as everybody when it comes to my own business of tending to want to put it off, and that is because writing a business plan. I don't care how much you make it sound glamorous. It's a pain in the butt. And it's 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 time consuming, and it makes you think about things. You're going, I don't even know if I want to think about that. And yet, <laughs> yet you, it, yet it is invaluable to a business. But is anything I said there not true? It's a little of both. And here's here's what we like to do. We like to have people write what we call one page business plans, and so. We try to keep it very simple and targeted so that the business plan itself is not, you know, 20 pages of boredom that took you two weeks to create or three weeks sometimes. I mean, people can really write these big beefed up business plans. So what we try to do is we try to take people through a process of identifying their unique value proposition identifying where they want their business to go. So that would be the vision is where you want your business to go. Um, your value proposition would be your mission statement. And then we take people through figuring out what their objectives are and how they're going to measure them. And then the strategies they're going to use to achieve those objectives. And then plans. So we just break it up into a very simple step-by-step process. But then... Once those things are done, what we do is we attach separately the financials. So then we tackle budgets, projections, break-even, and then attach a marketing plan to it. So the business plan itself is one page, and then it's supported by the real numbers and then the marketing plan separate just because we believe in a pretty fleshed-out marketing plan. And again, the key part... The key parts of it are that you have something to measure so you know when you're getting closer to your goals. And one of the most beneficial things about that is the motivation you get from knowing you're getting closer. The other thing is is that no business plan is cast in concrete. You want to know if things aren't working the way you have planned because there's nothing wrong with that. It just means you've got to change, um, change your flight plan a little bit. And so... That's, you know, I think that's really sort of the big benefit of it. And also, I think, you know, if you, if you guys, if you think about it this way, 
When you do a business plan, you're testing money on paper. You're not playing with real money when you're testing on paper. The minute you don't test on paper and you're doing it in real life, you're in real money. And so that has much more real consequences than playing around with it in your budget. You really want to kind of solve it with monopoly money before you go play with the real money. Right. And that's kind of how I see a business plan. It's it's testing your ideas on paper before you use them. And then it's also creating, if a good business plan will create benchmarks where you can then say, okay, are we on target or do we need to change something? So that's, I think, the main benefit. And so if you break it into pieces, it's really, it is really doable. Um, you know, and I think it is something we procrastinate. Me, I think you're right. I think a little bit of it is uh, fear of the task of just that it's time-consuming, um, and then also fear that what happens if we look at our business and it does not work on paper? What will we do? Exactly. And That's what so, I was trying to say. It's that yeah. part that you may not want to even think about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that when you see it there, usually what happens is that there's a moment of of uh oh and then the you know then there's the creative part of the brain that'll kick in and start to try to solve those issues and i've seen that over and over again that's sometimes in the world because your your imagination and your your creativity can suddenly take hold of the reality and create something new so i think it's positive i think regardless of what shows up it's going to end up being positive now, one of the things, too, that you hear, and you probably hear this, too, is that, oh, my business isn't that big. I'm a small business. Why do I need a business plan when it's just me and, you know, maybe a couple of employees or I'm just running my boarding stable and I have some help here? What do you say to those people? I have a couple of things to say. One is that although we can always make more money in our, in our lives by making changes, we can't get back time. So... If you look back, if you don't do a business plan and you don't really know whether you have properly priced your services or you're properly leveraging your time or you're being you know, paid the, what you need to get paid, and I'll give an example in just a minute, if you don't do that, you can wake up 10 years down the road or 20 and you realize you don't have a retirement, you don't have A, you don't have P, you don't have C, or maybe you got hurt along the way and you didn't have any cash reserves because you weren't counting on that, um, I think that's a risky place to be. And I think we've seen that really clearly in because of the recession. A lot of horse businesses, their profitability, their their boarding and training didn't have a lot of profitability. They they were making a profit off horse sales and attending horse shows. So they when those two things slowed down because of the economy, we saw many, many businesses who had been successful for decades or more suddenly be in a place where they were operating from a negative cash flow and an unprofitable business model because the boarding, they were losing money on the boarding, making up for that in the training, and then making profit off sales and tour shows. They take away the profitable parts. They're left with businesses that are losing money hand over fist. And then what do you do? So I think it's really critical that you know what parts of your business are doing what most horse professionals have fairly. I mean, this, yes, there's definitely the, you know, the traveling trainer who just goes from barn to barn and takes it in their business is very straightforward. Um, 
but most horse professionals have more complex businesses with multiple streams, and sometimes those income streams get so intermingled that they don't really understand what part is profitable, what's making their business work, what's what's maybe not working. And so um, I think it just is a matter of, you know, you gave me the example once of if you're if you put your head in the, if you put your head in the sand, you're you're you was something you were you had an ostrich yeah, joke. Yeah, if you was, put your um, head in your sand, your yeah. butt sticking straight up in the air for somebody to kick it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So it's true. yeah, I just think it's worthwhile. Um, it does not take that much time. It, it does take some courage, and the way we break it down with some of the individual calculators and tools on the site, we make it really, I think we make it really easy to where you can get through it in a step-by-step way that makes sense. You can get through it working on it in little 20-minute chunks of time rather than feeling like you've got to lock yourself in your office for two weeks. So I think um, I think it's, it's, it's finding a plan that you, a process for writing your plan that works for you. All right, terrific. And you can find out more about this by going to equestrianprofessional.com. The webinar webinar called How to Write and Use a Business Plan is going to be held on July the 2nd, uh, just coming up here, at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern. And uh, it's uh, Elizabeth and her guest, Pam Saul. I think it's going to be fascinating, and people can uh, check it out on your website, and I hope that they sign up and can learn a little bit more about this important part of running a horse business. Well, hi, Joseph uh, from EquityMFG.com. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Glenn. It's good to be here. You know, we're talking fencing. We talked fencing last, uh, the last time we were together, and we're talking fencing again. You know, we have a – we just put up a what I call a, semini, a semi-permanent fencing in that we use the tape and, and wooden posts and, and T-posts and things. And then I was talking to my co-host on the morning show the other day, Jamie, and they live in Arizona. And I have never had this because I've never lived in an area that did this, but they use pipe fencing. And – one of the things, you know, and then I have some friends, we have some people in the neighborhood here that use the vinyl, the vinyl fencing, three, three board, I guess you call it, vinyl fencing. Now, one of the issues that, that they still have is that the horses, to get to grass, on the grass is always greener on the other side, I don't care what kind of fence yep, you have. Yep. They, and if you don't have any kind of box wire, you know, no climb or anything, they, the horses still want to stick their heads through it. So, well, with spring here, yep, I thought I'd talk. Uh, a little bit about two of the products that are especially useful this time of year for the very reason that you're talking about. Um, The first one is our pipe panel clamp, which are fence insulators that are made especially for pipe fencing. And the type that Jamie has are panels that are anywhere from 8 to 25 feet long that, uh, that are very portable and you just clamp them together. And pipe panel has all the spaces between the pipes that the horses can reach through to get the grass that's within a couple of feet. And this leaning through the fence is really tough on the fence, but it quickly rubs out your horse's manes. So at our ranch, I couldn't find any way to put a hot wire, which is the obvious solution, a hot wire on pipe fence. I, I tried buying ones that were made for T-posts and screwing them to it. I tried a lot of different things. Anyways, it didn't work, so I developed the pipe panel insulator and it's a four inch standoff that clamps securely to the vertical pipes and allows you to put a poly rope hot wire on the fence. Um, You can put one in the center of the fence 
which is where mo most horses tend to stick their head through. Or if you have a really determined horse, you might need to install a second scare wire down at the bottom, and that'll keep them from getting down on their knees and sticking their, their neck underneath. Uh, the pipe panel clamps cost about a buck a piece, and they'll save your pipe fencing and your horse's mane's appearance prior to the show season. We've been selling them for more than 10 years, and the ones we sold back at the very beginning are still holding up now. We don't use inferior plastics, so our insulators last for years without cracking, and they're available on our website at www.equiteemfg.com. All right, terrific. Well, thank you, Joseph. EquityMFG.com. Well, coming up now, we have Lindsay Blatt and Paul Taggart. Uh, they're creating a documentary called Herd in Iceland, H-E-R-D in Iceland, all about the Icelandic horses. And we're going to talk to them about that now and find out more about those creatures that live in the cold. Well, hi, Lindsay and Paul, and welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I saw, I, I saw actually on the, of all places, I don't know how I came across this because I don't read the New York Times normally down here in Florida, but the New York Times blog had a little thing about a documentary that was being put together about the horses in Iceland. And Icelandic horses are some of my favorites. So that caught my attention. I read it, and then I got a hold of you, Lindsay, and said, we've got to have you on the show and find out what's going on. Are you two horse people, or are you just movie producers? Or what, what are you, what's, what's your story? Um, I think after this project, we're horse people. So, um, yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, both Paul and I live in New York, so it's kind of hard to be, you know, horse people in the sense that, that we'd like to be, I think. But, um, yeah, I grew up riding horses and have been in New York for about 11 years now. So since I left Arizona, um, not so much. Don't have too many opportunities to go riding. So you're talking New York City, because there's lots of opportunities to ride in New York, the state. But, right. Yeah. New York City. Okay. All right, cool. Well, maybe you could change that. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, you know, I would, we actually would be had happy. the opportunity to ride in New York City right before we started this project. So there is some riding in the city as well, too. Yeah. We, yes, you, yes. You need well, to Brooklyn, maybe not so much. Horses. They do fine down there. They would do fine. Yeah, I, as long tough. as they're not pulling carriages. You know how I feel about carriages. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so, all right, so how did you get interested in, in, of all things, Icelandic horses, and of all things, going to Iceland to film this project? Um, Paul, you want to start that? Yeah. Um, well, Lindsay actually came to me with the project a little over two years ago. Um, she was actually flying through Iceland on a layover and saw um, some material about these roundups and was just sort of struck by it as a subject matter. Um, and we'd worked together sort of collaboratively over about seven years on different projects, usually nature-related um, or animal-related. Um, we'd worked on a project in Antarctica about whales. And so she contacted me, and I was super enthusiastic about it. And I wasn't really raised um, on horses, but I, was, I grew up in Oklahoma. And as a kid, I would often go out, you know, riding um, with friends and family on vacations and things like this. Um, and so it was sort of a natural project for the two of us to do together. And we thought we'd just do it one year, and we just fell in love with it. And once once I actually got to go out riding on the Icelandic, and we're going up these huge mountains on this small horse, I was just blown away. And 
we went back for a second year, and it's kind of just been a passion project ever since. Paul, haven't you seen a trend here? Lindsay's, in fact, trying to kill you. Antarctica and Iceland. <laughs> Doesn't she ever pick any place warm with a beach? Spoken like a true horse husband, you know, Glenn. Isn't there, like, uh, horses <laughs> that are in just, hardship we, we in Jamaica? We something now more on the equator. Now that there's been, we've kind of covered both poles, we'll have to just <laughs> kind of do something right in the middle there. There you go. You balance it out. You balance it out. Now, how what so you're you so the first time you actually laid eyes on the Icelandic herd was from the air? Um, no, definitely not. Actually, um, there's a place in the Berkshires where we went riding before, because um, when Paul signed on and said, like, yeah, we should definitely do this project, I was like, Well, you haven't even seen these horses before. So, um, we went riding in the Berkshires, because um, there's a farm up there. And um then when we got to Iceland it was like you land in Reykjavik Airport, you drive maybe 20 minutes, maybe even 15 minutes outside of the city, and you start seeing little farms and a couple horses here and there. So um, they're pretty close, you know, even to the to the urban areas of Iceland. But um, when, when was the first time we saw some of the herds, Paul? Um, it was literally right outside of Reykjavik. And Reykjavik is, you know, the largest city in Iceland, but it's also still pretty small, so it doesn't take long to get outside the city. And we were outside and jet lagged, well, not jet lagged, but just tired from the flight. And we got outside, and I remember looking over and said, and I was like, wow, there's actually just a sort of a wild herd on the side of the road. Um, and we actually stopped the car right there and started filming probably less than half an hour into the, into the trip. So what, tell us the story of the Icelandic horse and, and what you're trying to get across in the documentary. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the, the way that the horses are sort of um, raised in this environment that's so a, a really special landscape and and unique, and the horses themselves... Okay, wait a minute. Um, that, that's as politically correct as I've ever heard it. It's kind of barren and cold. Um, It's barren. It's cold part of the year, but not all of the okay. year. And um, But it, it's definitely, you know, a different kind of place. And since the horses aren't indigenous to the area, they've, they've kind of adapted. And I think what we're trying to tell with the story is how these horses, as unique as they are, have really come about because of the environment that they're living in. And then also how um, sort of the people are relating to them and, and still look to them as a symbol of of their country and sort of the, their history. And um, there are a lot of people there who don't necessarily ride every single day or have their own horses um, or, you know, like live on a farm, but they, they still consider the horse to be a, a huge part of their identity. And um, we're just kind of finding a way to tell that story through, like, the beauty of the horses and the beauty of the landscape, really. Now, you said about them being loose. Um, aren't they, in fact, uh, turned loose, a, a lot of them, in the summer where they, they kind of live on their own? Exactly, yeah. They're... they're... They're turned loose to graze over the summer, and then when we go, the two trips we go to is the roundup in the fall, which is when all these horses are brought back down from the mountains um, and then herded back by uh, the different families and farms into groups for the winter. All right, so they so they're they're pretty hardy horses. Um, I mean, when I think of an Icelandic, I know they're Icelandic horses, but to me, they look more like ponies and. Uh, you know, when I think about ponies and I've, I actually am keeping a pony now, you realize how hardy they are, how, you know, Definitely. 
right? Okay, so they're hardy. And that, that right there, that's evolution right before your eyes. Um, their, their feet are good. They tend to be able to eat just about anything. They can survive in colder, harsher environments. They can survive in fluctuating environments, which it seems like Iceland has all of the above. And so they've there's this this breed now, the Icelandic horse, who is has adapted beautifully to, like you said, this very unique environment. And I, I guess you'd have to say that the horses represent the people because the people need to be as adaptable and as hardy. Would you agree? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I mean, definitely couldn't have really said it better. Um, I mean, the other thing is, is this is not necessarily an accident. For over a thousand years, it's been the law of the land, literally Icelandic law, prohibits other breeds or any other horse coming onto the, to the island. Oh. So um, the herd that was brought over, um, I think, you know, they... they the figure I hear is like about 1,200 years ago, that's the original herd, and all the horses that are in Iceland have come from there. And so it's been a 1,000 years um, of this sort of breeding, and, and I know that there's some hand in that, but, yeah, definitely it's the sort of like natural selection happening as well. Where did the original herd yeah. come from? Um, Paul, do you, I don't know if I actually have the exact answer for that. Vikings? Um, Vikings is, is where they came from, but I don't know necessarily what what um, Scandinavian horse kind of yeah. it, it has turned into. I don't know that. I was just guessing when I said Vikings, but I you mean, see every, how they he uses Vikings is every guess. Um, <laughs> well, I think what what I have been um, had been told was that they came over in the holds of the ships. And so they they brought over their best horses. Their small and best horses um, were the ones that were taken out, you know, to kind of go exploring and, and claim that, that area. So it's, you know, they're coming from good stock, apparently. And what do they do with the horses there? Do they work? Do they show? Do they, you know, do they, are they used for pleasure or all of the above? All of the above, really. Um, there's definitely a huge tourism industry built around the horses themselves with doing pleasure riding. And a lot of these pleasure riding in, like, huge groups of, you know, 100-plus people. Um, but then they're also, you know, put to work in the fields, and there's a, a large, you know, semi-large experience Iceland, but export business in the horses as well. So there's breeding. And they're exporting um, them now, too, because, you know, clearly the Americans have discovered what great trail horses they are and what easy keepers. So, you know... Like 10 years ago, I remember my, my first introduction to an Icelandic horse, and I was like, what is that? And now they're popping up everywhere. Oh, that's that's good. See, I don't really know what's happening so much domestically with them. Um, but I do know that, you know, there's, there's the competition. And, again, if one of the horses leaves Iceland um, to go and compete or breed or anything like that, they don't, um, they're also not allowed to return back to the island um, to help with, you know, controlling disease and stuff within the population there. Um, so I think for any of the competition ridings too, they're, they kind of have their own system in place. And I think it works, you know, internationally across the board where horses can be competing, um, even though they might not necessarily be together, you know, in the same ring. How cool was it? And I know I read uh, a little bit about the, the documentary and what you did, and you were really filming, you know, in the air, on foot, on hoof, and you, you were all over the place. What kind of experience was that? Did you come away did you come away with the feeling that you thought you'd come away with or were you surprised with what you found after being there around the people and the horses? Um, personally, I mean I came away with uh, you know, complete exhaustion after three weeks of production. <laughs> but then coming home and like a day later, 
like really actually missing missing the animals and missing the landscape and just miss being out there in that clean air. Um, and, and, you know, trying to find ways to actually go riding since I've been back home. Um, so, I mean, I definitely, as somebody who didn't go into it riding in the last 10 years and then riding when I was there, it's like it kind of changed me as a person for sure. What did you find, Lindsay? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the thing that I was really surprised um, while we're actually filming was just how much I, how excited I could still get every time we went out during the day. You know, we were covering a lot of terrain, and it was like every time we stumbled across, you know, this new herd that we were going to be filming for the day, or um, we would go to one of the farms or one of the breeders and and meet new people, and we're meeting a whole new group of horses. Every time I left, I'd say, well, my favorite, and I could go on and on about, like, my favorite horse that I met that day. Lindsay has lots and of favorites. how am I going to get that horse <laughs> Sounds <some>? familiar. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty amazing, you know, just the, the sort of span of, like, how, how much character that they can have. And, you know, you can fall in love and have a favorite one. And then the next day, it's like, oh, man, I just found another best friend. <laughs> how about the people, Lindsay? What what do you find about the people? I mean, we could not have done this project without the people that that, that we were met while there. Um, people were so generous with their time and um, putting us up in their homes and and always being available. And I just and they all speak perfect English too. Um, but it, it's pretty amazing. They really are gentle people, and they're gentle with the horses. And just the way that they interact, they, they really have so much respect for the animals. And you can see that, you know, in just the way that they handle them and the way that they are around them. And it, it reflects back and forth between the, the people and the horses. You know, what do they feed them? Because I, don't, I doubt they're having huge hay crops in Iceland. So do they import all of that, or what do they feed them when they have them in, in the winter? You know, we did see an awful lot of, of hay, and, and we were kind of, as as photographers and filmmakers, a little bummed out because they get, these huge hay bales get wrapped in plastic, and so it's just not as, um, you know, iconic as you want it to be, but <laughs> they, they do seem to grow their own hay. I don't know if they have to import any additional, but um, they, you know, they have, in addition to sheep, they have an awful lot, or in addition to horses, they have an awful lot of sheep, too, so they're actually, you know, going to be needing to keep them through the winter months as well and be feeding them too. And I doubt that they would actually import forage from someplace off the island because then that would taint. Yeah. I mean, it sounds as if they're really trying to keep the the gene pool there as pure as possible and probably yeah. not just for the horses, but for their plants and um Yeah, I mean, any kind of, like, island ecosystem is going to have those issues. And um, they do, you know, import a lot of food to eat, you know, for people. But I I can't speak to whether or not they bring it in for hay or any other kind of feed. Well, you're going to know this is a question from a horse person. Helena will laugh. Do they have flies? You know, Yeah, horse people. We want a place in the world that doesn't have flies. I think in the summer. I can't say that when we were there in the fall, Paul, do you remember? I can't say there. I don't I remember. I don't remember a lot of flies. I remember the horses sweating a lot. I don't remember <laughs> yeah. a lot of flies. Yeah. You would remember they, if it was yeah. like down where Helena lives at so. times. <laughs> I don't think so. I think maybe in the summer they might they have mosquitoes and they might have flies in the summer. But by the time we get there in September, um, they're gone. I I didn't see any now because it's already minus thirty two. Now um, I. You, you, since both of you are visual artists, um, as you're filming, 
the the herds and the horses living and just being um are you seeing is there an identity that starts to show itself visually of her dynamics movement um light color did you did anything strike you that way visually about what you were filming yeah for sure um, i mean we we very quickly i think sort of realized there was times of day that we were naturally drawn to photographing and filming just because the skies there are so big and constantly changing. Um, and then also, I mean, like what Lindsay was saying about having best friends in each herd, is there's actually there were certain horses, even in like a large group when there'd be 200 horses together, you'd sort of find a personality and you'd be drawn to that horse, just like you would be a do a lot of portrait photography, just like the people you're drawn to certain faces to photograph. Um, there'd be certain horses in a herd that, you know, both of us would sort of be drawn to. Um, but Iceland also, I mean, you have this built-in landscape behind everything you shoot. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right time of day and the right light to do it. Now we like got candy store. We got to you guys. And if I can, yeah, if ahead. I can add on to that yeah. too, that the the color of the horses is there. There's such a wide range of coloration in all of the horses too. Um, so that's the other thing. If you have 200 head of horses that are out in, in a field or something like that or hanging around in a valley, it's amazing, you know, the grays and the whites and the blues. And, I mean, it's amazing just how many different colors there are. So even if, um, you know, just as an overall look, it's it's just so diverse and speckled and, and really beautiful to watch if, if you, when, once you get a whole bunch of them in the same place. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Lindsay, you could fit one of those. They're, they're oh. not that big. You could fit one of those in your 400-square-foot apartment there in Manhattan. No problem. I know. Well, that's, that's the ongoing joke is, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, rules from landlords here in the city. And it's like, if you can't have a dog in your apartment, I don't think there's anything that says you're not allowed to have a horse. I know the, the dog is always on the totally fit in your apartment. Yeah. Yeah, it would totally fit in the apartment. Now, you, we, got to, the we got to you guys the, through the, Kickstarter. The three-story walk-up. Perfect. We got to you through Kickstarter, which means you're trying to raise money for something. So tell us what that is. Uh, Kickstarter, if you're not familiar with the website, Kickstarter is sort of a crowdfunding website where people can donate money anywhere from $1 up to, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, And there are different sets of rewards depending on how much money you want to donate. And so we've got a whole range of, I think, around a dozen awards or rewards um, for people that want to donate to the film. And all of that money is going to go directly to hiring people to help us finish the film. Um, so we've got a lot of post-production work, which means a lot of hours of editing uh, footage. And then once that's finished, which is about four weeks of work, we have to hire on what's called a colorist and then some audio mixers and a composer to finish everything out. Um, and so we have a goal of $16,500 uh, to sort of hire all the appropriate people and get this thing out onto the film circuit um, sort of as soon as possible. So that's what we're raising money for, and every dollar is an amazing contribution for us. And you're looking for, according to this, the way uh, Kickstarter works is you donate money, and they really only take the money out of your account uh, uh, when you reach your goal. Um, so yeah, exactly. so if we don't so, get that sixteen thousand five hundred in donations, we don't get anything. That's right. <laughs> it's and all or nothing. That's right. So they're looking for sixteen thousand five hundred. They have twenty eight days to go, and they're up to almost five thousand dollars, which is great because two days ago yeah. you were at about one hundred fifty dollars when I looked. So um, <laughs> that yeah, that New York Times article helps a lot. I bet. <laughs> it's just yeah. a small paper. But we yeah. do. We have um, we have you know really great 
really great sort of awards for people who are horse enthusiasts. We have um, archival photographs like from our portfolio time there. Um, we have some generous donations from North 66, uh, or sorry, 66 North, which is an Icelandic company um, making like outdoor gear. Um, but definitely like something for everyone, film and photo workshops with Paul and I um, individually and just, you know, any little bit helps. And even if you can just donate like five bucks, not to sound like, you know, public radio or anything, but um, it'll just really help to get the project finished. Fifteen bucks, Helena. Guess what they'll do? I love fifteen bucks, by the way, guys. Uh, Lindsay <laughs> and Paul will pet an Icelandic horse in your honor. Oh. <laughs> We're getting the better end of that deal. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Do you put a little name tag on it, too? Uh, you know, there's yeah. an idea. 25, your name tag. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> this is great. I wish you guys the best luck. Hey, your listeners out there from all over the world, if you would like to help see this project finished, there is some terrific things. You know, we were kind of joking around. But, when you know, when you do- donate some more serious money, there are some terrific things that go along with that. But let's just help them finish this project. And Helena will say this better than me. When you... You know, any time we can put a positive spin on the horses of this world, that is a wonderful thing. And and we thank you guys for taking the time and effort to do that. Yes, they're, they're, they're approaching this with a, a an artistic, loving, compassionate, magnifying glass, which when you see the truth about these horses, what's not to love? Right, Glenn? Right, exactly. <laughs> and Paul, I have a warning for you. If she calls you up again, it's got to be someplace <laughs> warm because I think next time it's going to be like the moon. You know, don't listen. Don't listen to him, Paul. He doesn't know. I know the moon. <laughs> I know the moon. It's probably cold there too. Lindsay will see to it. There'll be an iceberg that day. <laughs> Thank you to both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Guess I'm gonna have to go sit on an Icelandic or something, or maybe go to Iceland. Yeah, why don't you do that? You You're think? close where you live. You're closer what? than anybody else. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's true, especially today. That's great. I love to hear about uh, you know new breeds, and I love the fact that they are trying to get this breed and the traditions out in front of the public and sort of, you know, at, you know me, I want to make the whole world horse lover. So anybody that puts horses on film, I'm all for it. There you go. There you go. And I can't wait to see it. I'm, I, I, well, uh, we'll be happy to see it when it comes out. We'll let you know when, when that happens. And of course, if you want to support their cause, uh, go to kickstarter.com. Well, that's it for this week, Helena. We are going to cut out of here. Uh, don't forget that you can listen to all the ho- all the horses. I was going to say, don't forget you can listen to all the horses on the Horse Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we are. <laughs> we do act like them. At uh, horseradionetwork.com, all the different shows I meant to say. Uh, be safe and have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.